Hello, welcome to the thrilling conclusion of our Alien season, a trilogy of episodes chronicling the franchise started by Ridley Scott in 1979, to which he has once again returned with uh, Alien Covenant. We recorded this a few days before it was released, so our conversation is speculative in fashion. Two weeks ago we started the season with, with the Alien Quadrilogy. Last week we followed it up with a look at the Alien vs. Predator films, and this week we're having a big delve into Prometheus. This episode contains spoilers for... Prometheus. Though some would say Ridley Scott spoiled that one already. Hello, welcome to the finale of Alien Season, the the third and final thrilling part of us looking at the Alien franchise. So we've done we've done all the real Alien films, and then we did the the really 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 shit ones, and <laughs> now we're we're landing somewhere in the middle, I suppose, today with Prometheus. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Like, what even... Like, I guess it's set in the same universe, but it's not exactly a direct prequel, is it? Uh, to the original Alien. I feel as if it's an, a, as much of a direct prequel as most of the sequels are direct sequels. Other than, I suppose, you haven't got Sigourney Weaver in there as Ripley. Yeah, yeah. I remember the... Because uh, I remember tracking the production of this in magazines and on the internet and stuff, and I remember it was very confusing because for the longest time it was going to be an alien prequel. Ridley Scott's doing this alien prequel, and then all of a sudden it came out, no it isn't. And oh yeah. He, he said, no it's it's not actually, but it's got, he said something along the lines of but it's got strands of alien DNA in there. Yeah, and then everyone was kind of like well... <laughs> and then everyone was kind of like, what? What does that mean? And then, and then we watched the film out. and we were like, so what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means that Damon Lindelof Came in and uh, completely rewrote the other guy's script, which was a direct. Oh, he's prequel. good, isn't he? Damon Lindelof. <laughs> Everyone likes him, right? You know what? He <sighs> was. This was around the time where I felt like he was getting so much work. He was on like, oh, being rumored for everything. Every big film, I was like, oh, Damon Lindelof, and didn't he do a Star Trek around this point? And now it doesn't seem like he does films anymore. Well, I, I'm glad because I, I, I think Al, I think those lost guys are biggest hacks in Hollywood. They are <laughs> shit. Damon Lindelof is shit. Alex Kurtzman, is he called? What's the other one? Oh, yeah. His writing partner. Yeah, they are... One of them's not as bad as the other two, but the two that are, like, always together are really fucking shit. They are... They did a couple of Transformers, yeah. They are the just... They they got lucky with the Star Trek films. They kind of made those work, even though they've got big, big flaws. Lost is just, it's the ramblings of a, a an Alzheimer's patient, like, made <laughs> into reality. It's just fucking nonsense. Uh, yeah. It's not well written. Uh, Cowboys and this... Aliens is dreadful, but could have been good Oh, fun. I like that film! World War Z is, <laughs> I'm sure we'll do an episode on it at some point, but I, I cannot stand what the, the people who made that film did with that book. It is so badly mm. written. Um, mm. Tomorrowland is a bag of shit, 
and uh, Prometheus. And, and the thing is, it's not that he just writes dreadful, dreadful films. It's that he takes stuff that could be pretty good and yeah. just ruins it. Prometheus, like, I'm not a fan. But the the makings of a good film, the makings of a great film are there. And it pretty much comes down to the writing as to why the film doesn't work for me. Uh, and this, the same is true of like pretty much everything Damon Lindelof's worked on. I, I have massive problems with the writing, even in the stuff of his that I like, like Star Trek. The mm. big problems in that film are with the writing. Mm. Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, they do interview again. These films have great, you know, hours and hours of bonus material that I sat through, and uh, they have the original writer John Spates. I think is how you pronounce it, and he's like talking about his idea, and he was like commissioned by Ridley Scott's company to do the thing and it was like it all sounded really good and then at some point someone came in he'd never actually written a released film yet and someone <laughs> came in and said we need someone more experienced in it and then Damon Lindelof came in and basically t- like by the sounds of it John Spates had a coherent like you know two hour long story it was gonna connect up to alien and it could have worked and then damon lindelof Mm. came in and said we don't need to answer that we don't need to answer that you know yeah my understanding is his script was prometheus as we see it but in the last in the last third it transitions into an alien movie and Mm. it's people running around dealing with a xenomorph thing and it I I actually I started trying to read it for this episode, but I ran out of time sadly. So I've read like oh. the first fifteen pages of Alien Engineers. Oh. Um, it's the first it fifteen pages. Yeah, almost identical for the first fifteen pages. There's a few differences, but and that's his original script, not the one I believe so. Yeah, oh, this wow, is the one okay. by the John Spakes, is he called? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was his original script. It's available online if anyone wants to read it. So I, I, do, I do want to finish it. I just like say I ran out of time annoyingly. There's an, an audio commentary on the on the film on the Blu-ray, and it's um, John Spates and Damon Lindelof recorded separately, but they're merged into one track. And you just get the sense that John Spates is watching the film. Being <laughs> that like, just sums up the script. <laughs> he's just at points. He's like, yeah, well, in uh, in my script, we we explained this and. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't sound <laughs> terribly happy with what happened to it. Uh, Alan, how do you feel about the film as a big fan of Alien? Um, I didn't like it. Okay. Um, in fact, I think it's very bad. Oh. My main problem with it is that the characters are all really unbelievable. They don't behave how people behave. Yeah. They don't speak how people speak. Um, the storyline is messy, I think. Um, a lot of it doesn't really tie up. Um, but I appreciate it's trying to do it's trying to do quite a lot with it. It's trying to kind of use some kind of complicated ideas and pulling a lot of things together, mm. um, which it doesn't really succeed in doing. There's a lot of things I don't really understand about it, frankly. I I really hate this film, but it's it's similar to how I feel about It Follows, which we did an episode on a while ago, and I sort of explained that it it winds me up more than a truly awful film because there's so much potential on screen. There's so much that it's so close to being brilliant and it just Mm. squanders it. It's remarkably well directed for the most part. The casting, the performances, the special effects, the cinematography, like all the elements come together really well apart from the script. And, Mm. And even the script, like, 
it has so many great ideas in it. It, it. It's really ambitious. It sets up the the first two thirds of the script are great. To be honest, I I was so on board with this film when I watched it in the cinema for the first forty five minutes or so, and mm. then it just suddenly begins to just unravel and every decision the people making the film took was wrong (laughs) and it just Mm. that's why this film annoys me so much even though if i'm objective about it it's probably one of the it's probably on the better half of alien movies overall put it that way but Mm. anyway calvin uh what about you well yeah i guess i'm gonna be the lone positive voice then uh i I'm not sure if I'd go as far to say I love the film, but I really, really, really like it. It's uh, And I, I think the biggest problem with it is that it's not long enough. And I think watching the deleted scenes, there is a lot of stuff in there that should be in this film. And I, I, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about those specific moments a bit more as we get into it. Um, Do you think we'll have a director's cut released in 10 years' time that saves the film? And everyone um... decides it's actually really good? <laughs> Uh, possibly, who knows? I mean, I, I, is it really um, dogged on? Is it? Um, I, I guess it kind of is by like fans, but I, my, I, my impression was that it got decent reviews, and yeah, I think most people slag it off, don't they? I, I don't think it's. Hmm. I mean, certainly filmy people and alien fans and stuff tend to criticize it. But you're right, you know, reviews weren't. Awful. Um, yeah. I think it's got a decent Rotten Tomatoes score, hasn't it? So some people do like it, but I, I just very rare. I don't think I've ever come across anyone else that <laughs> has liked it. Um, but I think we, we we covered we covered this a bit in Ghost in the Shell, and I have a similar thing here where even though logically there are a lot of things that don't work, and I agree that this, a lot of it, blame is put on the script. Sometimes if a film works for me on a thematic level, I can just totally go with it and ride it, and if it looks beautiful like this film does, mm. uh, I, I'm willing to go with it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, it really does work for me on that thematic level. Like, it really mm. hits a lot of buttons that that do it for me. And it, it, it like you say, it's a gorgeous film to look at. So mm. I just feel like it should have been a hell of a lot better. And mm. I, I just mm. really don't know what Ridley Scott was thinking, to be honest, that he kind of shepherded the script to the point that he did and decided that was the best mm. form of the film. Yeah. Well, I think Ridley Scott, like, he isn't a writer, and I think he does work in a much more visual um, sensibility. I think, from what I gather, like, listening to interviews and stuff, he, like, he he tends to have ideas for, like, scenes, and then it'll bring in a writer and say, okay, I really want to do this. Um, can you make that happen? Can you put it in a script? It's sort of like Hitchcock would do a similar thing. I think he works really well with individual scenes. Like, Prometheus is a film comprised of wonderful like five to ten minute scenes and sequences, I think work really well. It's just as a as a whole, it, it doesn't quite all gel together, um, and I think that's because he does just focus in on those five minute bit bits. I couldn't I couldn't appreciate the individual scenes either because the characters are so terrible, um, and they're just completely unbelievable. Which, which, I mean, come on, which which ones? All of them. <laughs> None of these people act in a normal way. I, I don't know about that. I, I think Elizabeth Shaw kind of do. I mean, are you talking about the, like the moments when they discover alien life and the yeah. gravity of the situation? Because I agree, and that's that's something that I think um, 
comes in more in the deleted material because like these people effectively find God, and they just seem to be kind of all right with it. It's like, oh right, oh yes, let's let's get suited and go and talk to them then. It's and I, I must admit, I, I I rewatched the film last night so it'd be fresh in my memory and because I hadn't seen it since I went to see it at the cinema and it it didn't even hold up as well as I remembered. <laughs> like there were, mm. I was kind of. I suppose because I wasn't as on board with it, I was seeing all the flaws from the start. And that mm. geologist character is... Oh. What is that about? I don't know what he's yeah. meant to be from the get-go. Nothing about so it makes angry? Sense. Yeah. Fifield and Milburn are the two scientists. I, I really hate them. Obviously, the way they deal with things later on as well, when they just sort of find some space goop and go, oh, let's play with this a bit. Let's run our fingers through it. Oh, there's so much that... that. (laughs) Like, these scientist characters, when they take off the helmets for no reason, it's like, all right, maybe this one guy is a fucking maniac and he wants to do it, but they all follow because he can breathe. And it's like, no, hang on. You might be able to breathe, but... Number one, why would you risk it? Number two, you're in an, exactly you're in an alien environment. There'll be different bacteria and viruses and things knocking around you've never encountered. There's going to be stuff to factor in beyond the atmosphere that you're breathing. Not to mention the the fucking bullshit with David earlier on. Go, why do you wear a suit, David? Oh, because uh, because I want to look just like you guys. And it's like, well. He doesn't say that. He says that he he. I don't want to freak you out, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I think that's, I think that's, that's good suit, That suit's not going to be cheap, and it's going to be <laughs> putting it through unnecessary wear and tear, potential damage. It's going to be cumbersome for him as a robot. I don't think the people would be that upset by having him there not in a suit, because it's not like it's natural to talk to someone through a like diving bell costume meet anyway <laughs> so well i must admit that that bit didn't bother me like his rationalization for it was like okay fair enough but from a filmmaking point of view why do that yeah. why not just have him wandering around why even bring attention to it like who cares why are they making a point of that i guess yeah i, I mean i don't know why they did that was it a secret that he was a robot and they wanted to i think the idea no, no, was no. that david is a character fascinated or obsessed with like the human condition and human psycho mm. psychology and and all that shit and i i just felt like it was a little bit of characterization for him showing that mm. he's really considered these things on a deeper level perhaps i, I don't mm. know i love how that mm. character's introduced by the way like oh, just yes. wandering around the Spaceship yeah, yeah. And... You talk about scenes that work as individual pieces, and I, I agree. Mm. I think his opening is fantastic. I, to be honest, I, I think the character of David is is great. I really like him. Um, mm, mm, uh, to say Alan doesn't like any of the characters, I, I think David might be one of my favorite um, characters. I'll go. In the Alien I can get on board franchise. with him being one of the best characters, and certainly in that film. Yeah, no, like he's a good character. Um, but then he's not human, is he? So yeah. apparently that's... I, I don't really get why he's like obsessed with trying to make himself look like Peter O'Toole um, <laughs> or whatever that was about. I like it. I guess it. it's just to, to show that he's not just a kind of mindless robot. Yeah, he exactly. He's got a personality. He's... Thoughts and personality, yeah. yeah. And, and again, you could rationalise that from a disguise endearing. He's the protagonist of this film. Humans like him. I'm going to be just like him so that 
the other humans find me endearing and pleasant to be around. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff you can read into it if you choose to go beyond the sort of novelty of Fassbender doing his uh, Peter O'Toole impression for the <laughs> film. So what about, um, should we talk a bit about Numi Rapace? Rapace? Uh, who is the yeah. main character in the film, Elizabeth Shaw? Yeah, so just to get out of the way, the accent. <laughs> oh, what the fuck is it? Like she, like she had dialogue coaching, and uh, and then it, it wouldn't bother me so much if they didn't have the flashback sequence when she's yeah. dreaming, and she has the dream where she's talking to her dad when she's an eight-year-old girl, and the little girl is very, oh, daddy, what's all this? And it's like, at what point did that become? Like, no way is that an Eng- even remotely passable as an English accent. Is it yeah. that hard? Well, it, it is if you're not English, maybe. <laughs> Uh, but but the, the, the weird thing is, that there's no reason a character needs to be English. Well, that's just the say, other thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. she's, I'm totally she's fine from with Sweden the... originally. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm to- <laughs> it doesn't matter. Does exactly. It? But there's a lot of that in this film. There, there's a lot of that we decided early on this character was going to have this trait and we just haven't updated it. Um, the mm. other like obvious example of that is Guy Pearce playing a 100 and something year old man <laughs> with really yeah. shit old age makeup on. It's just cast an old <laughs> yeah. man. Yes, just find an old man they are around. Well, you know, this this was like, Guy Pearce was cast. There was going to be a point when David was going around all the different characters and see, seeing, you know, what they were dreaming. Um, and we saw him as a young man or something. Yes, it was going to be him yeah. as a young man with, like, all these supermodels around him. And it was going to be, oh, that's how he still views himself. Mm. Um, and then I guess... See, that's, some... why, that's why the, um, Dr. Shaw, all the way through the film, is played by an eight-year-old girl, but just made up to look like <laughs> That's right, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's fine. I don't mind it, and it got that really great bit of um, viral marketing out of it when he does the TED talk, which is brilliant. It's so jarring, though. It, yeah, he he appears and he's just it. I wouldn't mind, but the makeup is shit. It's really <laughs> shit. It's it's sub Back to the Future makeup, and Back to the Future was made like what twenty, thirty years earlier. It's mm. it's just. He comes out and he looks like some sort of live action teenage mutant ninja turtle or something. It just it's not and and I think that's because he's meant to be so old. They've like done him up beyond what old people look like in real life, but but just don't. Well here's here's an idea. How about take that character out altogether because it adds nothing looks, to the film. He looks like fucking Brundlefly. He doesn't look like an <laughs> old man. It's the it's shocking. The only bit that bothered me is when David's like washing his feet and his feet don't look that old. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so they obviously put all the, you know, attention on the face. Yeah. Um I like that character being here. But it's it's just not relevant. It no, doesn't it add enough yeah. to how justify you, how the else time. You it takes justify, like, I mean the his, his whole reason for being there is that he wants to live forever and he that's why he's funded this incredibly expensive expedition. Um I, I don't know what how it that's justification of why his character behaves like that it's not a, it doesn't add enough to the film for a, from a filmmaking point of view to justify having it in you don't even need that character hey we found this thing it's a star map okay we'll pay for you to go up exactly. and go and have a look at it, it like it, and then have like the Charlie's Theron character or whatever but it, it doesn't need it you could even have all the you could have that whole he's 
bankrolling this and there's some ulterior motives without him being on the ship, without him coming along for the ride. Because it doesn't pay off. Because they they wake him up and he goes to meet his maker and then he gets killed. It's just like there's no payoff to it at all. Um, I don't know, but I like him there because of the conflict that it brings out in Charlie's Theron and Michael Fassbender. And I think it's in, this whole film is about... But they're in conflict right from the beginning. Yeah, but why are they in conflict? They're in conflict because they've both got the same dad and the dad cares more about the robot than he does his own daughter. Is she a robot as well? Ah, well... Is she? <laughs> uh, yes, discuss. Well, you because know, Char- Charlize Theron was originally going to play the lead role, and um, something happened, like Mad Max Fury Road went over schedule, or, you know, something like that happened, and she couldn't accept that, and they cast Numi Rapace, and then they brought her in for Meredith Vickers' role. Originally, it was going to be either Michelle Yao or Angelina Jolie, apparently, in, in this part. And they would have played it as a human? Uh, I... Sorry, that was just a bit of an aside. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, yeah, and, and and it seems to be deliberately vague that we don't really know if she's human or not. And, like, it's even acknowledged in the script when Idris Elba says, oh, you're a sex robot, going to shag you. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, but then it's never, again, well, she, it doesn't really pay off. She says, meet me in, in that room in ten minutes' time. And he goes, oh, all right then. And then... Presumably she's human, because otherwise he'd be, like, mentioning it later on or something. And... Well, just because he shags her doesn't mean he's going to know if she's human or not. They're very good, these robots. Uh... <laughs> I, I really like her character. I mean, this is a, a tick box, Calvin likes, icy blonde <laughs> women in suits in films. That's like That's just a special little thing for me. Um, so I love her, I love the conflict with David I think it's really nice when it's revealed That Wayland's actually her dad Later on Oh I don't, I hate that Ugh, no. Again it's that's another scene where so, It's so like Ooh father It's oh. And so obvious as well Like, What else was it going to be <laughs> Like, She was just a really devoted employee I think that scene is even better in the extended version You see in the deleted scenes There's a lot more dialogue it's the way she says it. It's the delivery on that line. She says something like, no, I won't do that, father. And it's like she's waiting <laughs> for the audience watching the film to, like, die, like, to stop, like... Yeah, she's waiting for the audience's gasp to die down before she... It's just, it's played so weirdly for a feature film. And then at the end, when she she is killed, we don't actually see her being killed, so now I was thinking... Okay, so now she's going to like pop up and she's been a bit squashed, but she is a robot and she's still alive or something like that, or she mm. was strong enough to to survive it. And then uh, like that didn't happen. I don't know. Well, again, like I think I do think initially the idea was Prometheus 2 was going to be made and it was going to pick up exactly at the end of the first film and just carry on. Mm. So I wouldn't have been surprised if Ridley Scott had that in the back of his mind like, well she can be mm. an antagonist as they're trying to run around do stuff on the planet i don't know but because mm. it because yeah it was going to be numi rapace and and michael fassbender's head like going on an adventure which they haven't done but whatever um, i guess we'll see what happens like numi rapace has been like in and out of the upcoming film alien covenant um and i oh, think she is yeah. in it now oh, okay. and david is in it but michael fassbender is also yeah. playing another character 
Well, I, I knew he was in it. I just assumed he was playing another robot called David because I heard they were moving away from that. But maybe not. Maybe they are doing a more straightforward sequel. And mm. right, can we shall we talk about? <clears throat> can we talk about the religious parallels in the film? Oh, okay then. Yes. Um, because. <sighs> I don't think it's necessarily out of place because oh, of course. all this stuff yeah. is about meeting your maker and 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 humans creating androids that are almost human and and, and like does is David see this guy as his father or his creator or and all that sort of stuff mm. all relevant but then it I feel like it's just played really badly because uh, the religious character as an old school religious character is sure yeah. And but she, it's never really justified yeah. her kind of faith, especially from someone who is a scientist. Um, and then it, it's not even that; it's that they it's that they prod at it, and and her best defense is, yeah, well, that's just what I believe in it. Yeah, yeah, and that's presented as it's like some f- profound statement yeah. as well. <laughs> and then when we actually meet their maker, so to speak, it's so far removed from the this religious idea of what a god is, which is a made-up fictional thing. We we we're not questioning that. And I think it's an interesting idea there. Of like, what do you do if you find out the thing that created you, and it's just like a normal guy, or it's just a big giant like dickhead or whatever it, like is that going to be disappointing but it doesn't really play out like that it's always like it's kind of like oh they're not a god or and then before you get a chance to really digest any of that or make anything of it they suddenly decide that these guys are going to try and kill them yeah. and go back to earth and destroy all life and I, I don't know where that came from mm. and then they suddenly turn on them and decide they have to kill everybody and uh, I, none of it made any sense to me yeah. and I'm I don't know if you can try and explain it to me. <laughs> no, I think I think, uh, well, I think that's pretty much it, to be honest. Yeah, it? no, you've you've got it. It's just whether or not you go with it or not. Like, yes, the engineers were on their way back to Earth to, I guess, destroy the whole thing. Um, but were they? There's no. I didn't see anything in the film that suggested that. Yeah, David um, figures it out when he's in the. Uh, well, he figures out that they were heading to Earth when he has his moment in the big, um, the big beautiful blue um, projection thing. That's when he sees Earth and puts two and two together that they were but he sees earth amongst a million other things and he just picks it out because he goes oh that's earth there's nothing there that directly says hey we're going to earth and there's certainly nothing saying that we're going to go to earth to destroy everything because presumably they've they've been there before and we we kind of get the idea that they created or at least sowed the seeds of what DNA became Mm. and if we assume that that opening scene that we see where someone dissolves himself into the water and it becomes that's the idea, right? That's that's the sowing seeds for life. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know why, like, for example, Dr. Shaw is so disappointed to find out that it's not a kind of big man in the sky with a beard. Like, mm. what was she expecting? Is she disappointed? Following the science. Well, she kills them all, does that Well, I mean, it's either her or them. Uh... Um, they have that chat with David, and they sort of allude to the idea that it's a disappointment because David's sort of like... Well, I can't be disappointed if I find out my makers just did it for the hell of it because yeah. I'm a robot and the human's like, oh yeah, well, good for you. I don't know, I think that's it. Like, that that you... argument doesn't make sense to me because if you, if I met the, a creature who said, hey, billions of years ago we we threw something in the oceans yeah. and we created life on Earth, I'd be like, I wouldn't then go. Oh, that's really disappointing because I was hoping you were like watching over me like all times <laughs> and like looking after me. I think it would. I think that I think that's the point. That it is disappointing because she kind of has what David went through. I, I mean, I guess we don't know enough about the engineers to know why life on Earth was created in the first place. Maybe there was a grand. But neither does she. It, but... That's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They no, don't... exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, I understand her disappointment with it. I think, yeah, of course. It's Yeah, I guess How she's could you not be disappointed when she? you meet your creator? Yeah, exactly. She is religious and Whereas we're people think... who don't who don't day to day think that our worldview well, isn't. But built I think on if if you're in idea, her position Yeah. If you're in her position and you've gone to the point where you're traveling through space to to find out an, an alien life form that that has directed you to them, surely you're not thinking about God. Like, I mean, there's even based on the cave paintings they've found, there's no evidence to say, hey, these these guys created us. It could be like, you could be thinking, hey, some aliens visited Earth and left as a chart. Well, that's the thing. Uh, if you believe no in evidence, God, like, like God made the engineers as well. Like, yeah, where, who made the engineers? Well, then? exactly. And they, they, they <laughs> if you want to. They do say that in the film. It's exactly. like, well, who made them? So it's only like you can only really draw parallels and and stuff. It doesn't work as an outright replacement for God or religion and what have you. And I, I don't know. I think that that goes back to what you were kind of saying. Just that the the religious uh, connotations and analogies are a bit messy in the film. They don't. You don't quite mm, ever yeah. know what they're yeah. trying to. And then the other thing added to that is the fact that we find out. She can't have children, oh, and yeah. she, she's barren. And then, but then she ends up being impregnated by something. Like, what's the analogy there supposed to be? That be careful what you wish for. Like, you want to create life, but well, it no, doesn't it's about always. Creation. It doesn't play like anything more than an ironic Twilight Zone ending, though. Like, it's like yeah. Alan. Yeah, like, no, it, it, it's drawing a parallel, but again, the, the like I understand the dots that are being connected, but I don't understand like why or what the connection's meant to be. It's about creation. Saying. She's frustrated because she can't actually create life. Yeah. Uh, and then she can. I'm not saying... It, I mean, but, it's, it's a, it is something that so. is there. I'm not saying that it, it is set up here and then it's paid off there and then it's... It is just a part of, you know, the, 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 the theme. So it's like the, the engineers created life on Earth and it didn't turn out how they wanted it to. In the same way that she ends up creating life when she thought she couldn't, and it didn't turn out good either. I guess you could look at it and that way. And she has to destroy it. Is that the idea? I guess you could look at it that way. I it didn't really. So it's about it's about showing her hypocrisy then. <laughs> she tries to kill the thing. It would have worked better if she had a a child that grew up to be like a school shooter or something. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I mean, do, do you not think that these are interesting ideas that are being explored? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think just they're don't interesting think ideas they... that are being explored badly. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're being, like, glued together very well. Hmm. I think it's fine. I, I like that it's all there. I think it doesn't necessarily need to fit together perfectly for me. I, I, um... But again, like we, we, we mentioned earlier, I think Ridley Scott does five, ten minute chunks of great scenes and just all together it doesn't necessarily uh come together but so what's so what's going on with those cylinders of like dark goo and why does everyone think they're weapons of mass destruction uh so <laughs> well what is that like dna <laughs> shit it's like something that infects like people something and well it turns worms into giant eel monsters yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Because that is one moment in the film where I'm completely out of it. When there is the um, the, the two, man. no, no, the um, when Rafa Spall goes touching the horse penis. Yes, <laughs> when the two, the biologist and the geologist, oh, are separated from the group. Oh, and I hate that of, scene. 
instead of just staying put until the ne- until the storm's over and then they can be rescued, they decide to wander around this pyramid. This pyramid. Wait, can we can and, we I mean, go? And I, I don't can we deal with first so why they left cause... the group in the first place? Yeah. Oh, I because, know. Yeah, because basically they go on this this expedition, which apparently they don't know anything about, involves them being asleep for several years to travel somewhere. Um, but they just go, yeah, I can volunteer for that. Um, they don't get told what it is. Then they wake up, they get told what it is. Hey, we're lucky, we're here to find the, an alien species that may have uh, visited Earth many years ago. Cool. Oh, look, there's a dead alien body that's obviously been there for years. I'm getting out of here. This is fucking freaking <laughs> shit. Uh, it's late, later on. Not, when... like, not like, well, I'm a biologist. This is fascinating. I'm a geologist. Look at this. There's a terrain here that I've never witnessed before. This is going to be f- absolutely fascinating. <laughs> a skeleton. No. Ah! <laughs> I need to go shave the sides of my head. It's, yeah, it's, it's really... It, uh, that whole bit with those vagina snakes. I mean, I, I've got to mention the, the... Did H.R. Giga come back to work on this one? Did he do something? He, well, he came back and um, sort of gave some opinions, but by the sounds of it, I mean, he was getting on a bit, and I think he died, like, not oh, really? too long into the production. Well, I was going to say, one. like, the as much as this film looks nice, the, the creature designs are, like, they're not up to alien standard. No. Like, they're, no. The, those vagina snakes are so... Just transparent. You can just see they've mm. gone. Oh well, HR Giger, he makes stuff look like dicks, so we'll make a thing that looks <laughs> like a vagina a bit, and yeah. uh, it's a snake, and it's it's just it's so just lazy, and it just doesn't play properly. And I, I really hope they sort that out in future films because the, the thing with that vagina snake is like they see this thing and this is again there, there was a cut scene it's in the deleted scenes where they actually find the first bit of alien life and it's this tiny little worm like thing and Rafe Spall has a moment where he's like oh great oh wow and then you know they get their moment of wonder out right. there so I can kind of buy I could buy into the scene that's in the final film where they see this giant snake thing <laughs> more if that had been kept in yeah that would that would work a lot better with that other because scene in there. Why the hell did they take that out? <laughs> well, exactly, because it's like no, you need to get it, you need to get that out because they just come across this like alien thing and the Rave Spall's like going up to him being like, "Oh, hey girl." That's hey, it, like, like it's, it's like, a fucking puppy that he's just Yeah. Met. It's like it's hissing at him and it's obviously pissed off and he's and that's, like that's the thing. Getting... Like even if you even if you ignore that this is the guy's first encounter properly with alien life. So even if you don't have the whole He's not really dealing with it in a wondrous, oh my god, alien life way. Mm. Just if it was a snake, just a normal land snake yeah. behaving like that, <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. go up to it and go, oh, hey, little snake, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what annoyed me even more than that? The um the other guy, the geologist, he like starts like smoking something at some point, yeah. and Rafe Spall's like, oh, is that tobacco? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then he like so presumably he's like what like fitted his spacesuit with a bong. And yeah. Why? <laughs> like why? Why? I expect Damon Lindelof thought it was funny because he's stoner, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you talk about a scene that I think really works? And I'm curious to get your opinions on it. The um the scene where the alien is removed from Numi Rapace in the med pod. Uh, okay. How do you feel about that? Because I think it is brilliant. I absolutely love that scene. Um, as a scene, it, it works because you feel the tension. She's desperately trying to do all this stuff. 
I, but then I think part of my problem was by this point, I'm already seeing all the logical flaws in it. And you know when you when you start going against a film, you just start pulling yeah. up everything there is. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like just the simple thing of like she goes in the Medipod and it says, oh, this is only catered to males. Now I know that's supposed to be a hint that uh, what's his face? Guy Pierce is, you know, it's his Medipod. Mm. But what sort of medical anything is geared towards one gender? It doesn't. Mm. Plus, it doesn't make it doesn't make any difference. I know it is just a hint, but it doesn't make any difference because she just says, "Oh, well, cut this foreign body out yeah. of me," and it does that anyway. Yeah. But then the Medipod thing itself—it's not like some cool, like futuristic Medipod. It's just robot with like. So it just does a, a big scalpel cut with metal hands, and then like forcep hands pull something out. It's like there's nothing like cool sci-fi about yeah. it. Yeah. And then it staples her together. It doesn't even like cauterize the fucking wound or anything. What, 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 what do you want? I mean, this incredible machinery. Like, this doesn't exist in real life, does it? But no, that's, I want. I want it to kind of like put a little um, like scan over her. Uh... Shoot, shoot some proteins over the wound to like form new skin. Yeah, and then it just binds together, like, and creates scar tissue nah, immediately nah, or something I don't like need that. that. This is only supposed to be, like, eight years in the future. Because then it'd be more believable that she jumps up and starts running around. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that is a bit... Uh, yeah, I uh, I love the scene. I, I think it uh, could go one better than the John Hurt chestbuster. What? Yourself. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> no. I think it's... Like, at best, it's a competent chain of events <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. i don't i really don't think it's particularly like there's tension i guess and you're thinking oh is she gonna get it out and but then like she does and it's like oh well that was that i also really love the um I, the, the whole sequence where idris elba is gonna go and crash his ship into the big alien ship which is setting off and um vickers is running around the ship trying to get out in time and then wait it... oh no i thought you were gonna say you like the bit when She's running away from the. I do. Why? <laughs> well, she, oh. she 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 can't understand the concept of running horizontally. I mean, admittedly, <laughs> like, yes, she's a robot a away from the but... thing. It's not. Be, she's not <laughs> programmed into her. Like, <laughs> and really, she really would only have to take like three steps to the left or right because Shaw falls over and rolls like twice, and she's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it. I can go with it because it is a brilliant scene. It, uh, but it's no, it's, it's comical. It plays, it doesn't play how it's supposed to, because it's so stupid. People don't run in a straight line from things like that. That isn't how, like, you don't just, oh god, it's so stupid. I'm not saying it makes sense, I just am saying that I like it. We never actually figure out, find out rather, what went wrong on the um, engineer ship do we? Like, what actually caused them all but one to die? Hmm. Oh, no, I had no idea what was going on at all. Because then, all of a sudden, they're talking about how they were going to go to Earth and kill everyone. I don't know where that came from. And that's from. the thing, like, I don't I don't need to know outright, but I need some hints. Like, I need you to hmm. kind of go, this is what we think happened, but we'll leave it to you to make your own mind up. But there just isn't any of that. It is just the Damon Lindelof writing style, I guess, isn't it? It's like on Lost. It's like there was yeah. no ending when they started. It was just all made up as they coasted along. Yeah, and, and they pretended they had some big, grand plan, but they didn't. They just made it up as they went along, and and you can tell. 
Like, yeah. the proof's in the pudding. Like, yeah, like, if I, watching it, I would say this feels like something that's been made up as it goes along. It doesn't, mm. it's not building to anything. And that's what Prometheus feels like. And that's why it's mm. so great for the first half hour or first 40 minutes, because you're thinking, all right, great. I wonder how they're going to bring this all together. Oh, they're not. They've, they've not put any <laughs> any thought into it or anything. It does end very abruptly, admittedly. I mean, basically it just ends with uh, Shaw is alive with David's head and she decides that she's going to go to the engineer's home planet. Yeah, and that's uh, weird uh, as well. Like. I'm not quite sure what she thinks she's going to get. Because she seems so um, uh, hell-bent on surviving and being alive. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be, survival seems to be a driving force for And then her, suddenly and she yet... decides that this suicide mission is worth doing just so she can kind of get a few more answers instead yeah, of just going die. home and living a life. I mean, could you imagine if she turned up on Earth in that ship and was like, hey everyone! Yeah, look at all this <laughs> amazing this. stuff we discovered. We can send more manned missions to this thing and and go back more prepared and properly study all this shit. And... Mm. Well, what, if she, what if she reaches the engineer's home planet, right? She lands... They greet her with open arms, say, oh, hey, this is really cool. You've, you've far surpassed what we expected you to be able to achieve. And then she goes, and they can communicate. And then she goes, well, why did you create life on Earth and why were you going to destroy it? And I said, and they, what, like, what does she expect? They're just going to go, well, we're going to destroy it because it was a failed experiment. Like you, you, you've killed the planet and then now you're getting off the planet and we need to kill you before you start spreading to other parts of the universe. Mm. What, and she's going to go... Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> like, what what is she gonna say? I don't get what the what. She... But I think I think the more the more realistic thing is that she'll get to their planet, and they'll shoot her. <laughs> Anything else, or should we move on to the future of? Uh... Yeah, I think we should. Well, Alien Covenant. We're just sticking random words after colons now. No one cares anymore. <laughs> Like it went into production as Prometheus Two, yeah, and then that became Prometheus. Was it like Paradise Lost or something? Yeah, it was going to be called. That yeah, that became Alien Paradise Lost, and then that became something else. Or... Yeah, have you seen the trailer for it? Alien Covenant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I um, I I remember the trailer. The first trailer came out on Christmas Day, did it? Or it was certainly yes, around Christmas, yeah. and I I watched it, and I just thought, ooh. This looks shit, um, and I've since seen a, uh, a, I think a longer, perhaps international trailer or something, and I, I've come round to it a bit with a bit like more footage in there. But initially, I just thought it looked like it looked like they'd learned all the wrong lessons from Prometheus. It looked like they'd thought about it for a while and they'd come to the decision that people didn't like Prometheus because it was too far away from Alien, so they just mm. needed to remake Alien. And so the trailer was just a... It just looked like a really straightforward, generic, cheap slasher movie in space, down to the mm. fucking shower scene at the end where the tail appears and then the yeah. wind goes, ah, she's covered in blood. And I don't want that. Yeah. I want to explore these interesting concepts a bit. I don't care about people being killed by an alien. That's not. It's not why I'm here. Believe it or not. Um, mm. And and I don't know. The the newer trailer that has a bit more footage in there hints at maybe there being a bit more storyline. So I'm a bit more cautiously optimistic now than I was. But 
No, mm. I still mm. don't really know what to make of it. David is in the film. Elizabeth Shaw's in the film. Guy Pearce is apparently in the film. Oh, God. So, uh, be interested to see how that all ties together. But it does look like they are sort of swiftly moving away from Prometheus mm. and sort of, yeah, starting again, really. It does just look like a remake of Alien, though, doesn't it? Yeah. It is just, they go down to the planet, they get aliened, and then... I, I, I hope there's a lot more Prometheus in there than there leading us to believe and it mm. could easily swing mm. either way at this point with ridley scott's track record on this sort of thing but mm. i'm not convinced it's going to be any good to be honest i'm not um yeah so i mean alien covenant is the one we're getting but mm. um <laughs> but the one we all want is... well there's been a few <laughs> like throughout the years alien 5 was something spoken of for a long while, wasn't it? With Sigourney mm. Weaver coming back and there was talk of it being set on Earth and this and yeah. that. And then, I think it was after Prometheus 2 went into production, they announced the um, the new, yeah, Alien 5, directed by Neil Blomkamp. Um, mm. But a, a newer project to any of the ones that have been mentioned before. Sigourney Weaver returning. The way they were talking about it, just picking up from the end of Aliens, like ignoring Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection, which was uh, mm. very odd. Like, I still can't really get my head around what this film would have been. Well, yeah, because they were going to bring back Michael Bean, um, and like Newt was presumably going to be there. It was going to be the three of them and Lance Henriksen as Bishop. Yeah. But then presumably they'd all be aged? I, well, that I, was I the weirdest really part of it, yeah. Sigourney Weaver was like well on board with it, and that like she yeah. seemed to be really into the idea, which was why it was moving ahead with uh, with Neil Blomkamp at the helm, despite his last few films not really meeting <laughs> with a very good reception. Uh, mm. It was around the it was like shortly afterwards that Prometheus Two changed its name to Alien. Paradise Lost mm. rather than Prometheus and then it got shut down and it would seem like Ridley Scott just basically threw his toys out of the pram and was like, no, what the fuck guys, come on. I'm yeah. doing Alien you're not doing Alien. Yeah. Which which is like, which would make more sense if there hadn't been three Alien movies without his involvement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like he's decided all of a sudden that it's his franchise and he's the one yeah. who's going to pilot it all the way. It's like, never really thought of you as, as that, Ridley. But he has said recently that he plans to make something like six alien oh, movies know. over the next few years. <laughs> Some absurd... Like That's quite time. optimistic for a man in his 70s, isn't it? <laughs> he's basically said like he wants to make alien movies for the rest of his life. That's just what he's going to do now, is making alien movies. Yeah, I guess I guess we should look at what we would do ourselves. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go. Oh, okay. Alright, so as a fan of the film, Prometheus, this is going to be the one pitch that perhaps builds upon <laughs> that film? Uh, I don't know. Oh. Oh, don't set the bar too high. I'll, the, title, <laughs> the, the title is God's Waiting Room. And... Uh, <laughs> It's uh I haven't had trouble coming up with pictures for stuff that I like. Yeah, I, I I've gotta say I, I, I really struggle with this one because I, I I I like even though I didn't like Prometheus, I was so on board with a sequel because the potential is there to tell a good story and the pieces are there. And I, I just want a sequel that, like I say, picks up at the at the end of Prometheus and answers the questions it, it sets out to ask and 
does it properly. Mm. I just want them to kind of follow through with what they were trying to make the first time. But I can't really pitch that because <laughs> yeah, because I want them to make it. So I think we're probably <laughs> on the same uh, page with that. Uh, but I've taken a, a leaf from Damon Lindelof's um, screenwriting tip book, and um, we're not going to solve any questions or you know an- answer anything. It's all just going to be set up for the next film. So his his screenwriting style is you answer questions with more questions. So yes. <laughs> so Lost was it was like right what you know why what what's this smoke monster? Oh well the smoke monster it's like a big polar bear that's there. Wait, why is there a polar bear there? Oh cuz the there's a big giraffe mutant. Well why is there a giraffe <laughs> mutant? Cuz they went back in time to uh, stop a bomb from detonating like five days before they landed on the island. Is that that was how that show worked? That's how he writes stuff. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Okay, well, anyway, my pitch. Um, it's called God's Waiting Room, and um, we we open, we follow Elizabeth Shaw and the head of David, and they make it to the planet of the engineers. But there's like a big force field thing around the planet. They're very safety conscious. So she has to go through to the reception area and wait for to be uh, allowed through. Um, she has to go through immigration and stuff. So she gets to the desk and it's this like engineer in a with glasses and a, wait. So what, how does you know, hair in a bun? So so what the spaceship like docks with some yeah yeah. She par- she parks it up. She gets out <laughs> and she goes. She takes her David's head with her, and she goes um, to the desk. But, but what's the logistics? So is so she like buzzes in, and the, and they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bzz, come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they like come through, and then um, and then. So they speak English, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, they are. They're like gods. They created. So... They created English people. Yes. <laughs> They've got a bureaucracy. And, uh, chan- you know, proper channels. They've got a civilization, a society, and they need receptionists and things okay, and, okay. you know, proper uh, procedures. So Elizabeth goes in and she's obviously like, oh, my God, like, can you tell me the answers? Oh, my God. And the receptionist is like, you know, I, 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 I just like work here part time. This isn't like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, if you sit down for a bit, I can like get the immigration officer to come down and he'll probably <laughs> answer some of your questions. Um and so she's like, oh, God, okay, then fine. And then she sits in what's the, the uh, room. And... What's the receptionist like? Um, well, she uh, she wears glasses. Is she a big pale engineer she... thing? Like, yeah, really yeah, buff? Yeah. She... yeah, with glasses. Has she got long nails? Uh, no, no, just glasses. She's not always, like, texting on her phone, but, like, letting her nails dry <laughs> while she does it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now she can, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, you know, she's chatting and she's got a mate who's, like, Coming in, and well, basically, the next hour of film is just some sort of um, observational waiting room comedy as Elizabeth <laughs> waits there with the head of David, and they have in, some what, in real and... time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. and uh, you know, she's it's sat like an there episode then... of um, One Foot in the Grave. <laughs> they do they do that quite a lot, where it's just the two of them sat in the uh, sat in a waiting room. And there's no one else in it. I was going to say that, that, that I, I thought of One Foot in the Grave when you said the name of the thing, God's Waiting Room. God's Waiting Room. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that just sounds like an episode of One Foot in the Grave. It does. Isn't there a sitcom called God's Waiting Room that's set in a, an old person's home? Uh, it's called Waiting for God. Oh, Waiting for God. That's what I'm thinking of. 
Anyway, so um, we have like bits where it's like this one engineer comes in and he's sat down and he's like, he's a bit of an odd person and uh, he's got like something on his shoe and he's like sort of fidgeting around and Elizabeth's just observing him. At one point, um, David has to go to the bathroom to like wash his face, but it's like the taps are really loud, so it's like it's a bit awkward. And, uh, yes, and uh, and then she and then she finally gets. <laughs> <laughs> she finally gets let in through the reception. She's like, "All right, yeah, you can go through now." Um, and then she gets to do to the immigration officer, and she's like, "Why did you create us? Why did why all this?" And he's sort of like, "Uh, well, I, so what? Uh, um, I, I don't really know what you're talking about." Um, and she's like, "I'm a human. I'm from Earth." And he he doesn't really know what she's talking about, but he can um send her to his superior who might be able to answer questions and she's like oh brilliant brilliant okay great and then she walks down the corridor and then that's where the film ends (laughs) 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 fuck you damon lindelof (laughs) i think he'd be very happy with that yeah then in in five years time we can uh come back and answer ask even more questions yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um. <laughs> uh, shall I do my one? <laughs> yeah, go on then, Sol, if you want to. <laughs> I've decided to focus in on David for my sequel, because David was the best thing in the film. I always thought it was a it was a missed opportunity that they made him be into Peter O'Toole um, instead of David Bowie. <laughs> So, so uh, <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> so uh, instead of doing a proper sequel, because like I say, I I, I want to see what I want. I want them to make the proper sequel. I want to see what they come up with. It's not really my place to do so. So I've just uh, I'm I'm pitching a, an ongoing well a sitcom, I guess. Um, it's on a it's on a spaceship. They're on another mission to some alien planet. You don't really know. So there's a human crew. Uh, but they're all in hypersleep or stasis or whatever it's called, so they're irrelevant. But what is relevant is the crew of robots that are looking after them and maintaining the ship. Uh, and we've got seven seven David Bowie robots here, uh, <laughs> and they're all one of them's based on Young Bowie. There's uh, there's Ziggy Stardust. There's Thin White Duke, Berlin Bowie, Labyrinth Bowie, uh, early nineties drum and bass Bowie. Uh, he's got a goatee, that one, so you can tell that he's like the evil one. And uh, <laughs> old man Bowie. And they're all knocking around on a, uh, a spaceship, getting into shenanigans. Uh, can I ask um, who's playing them? Uh, probably get Michael Fassbender in. Actually, probably have seven different so, people. To play all of them. <laughs> yeah, you want Bowie impersonators. And let's, let's get seven different people in for, for uh, one for each one, I guess, instead of having them all play the same. Yeah. I don't know. We might as well just digitally recreate all of them because no one can live up to to David. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all they're all just knocking around in space. So episode one, um, the Bowies are throwing a, a high school reunion, and uh, <laughs> drum and bass Bowie wants to impress all the other Bowies by showing off what a big shot he is nowadays. So he um, he wakes up a member of crew early. Uh, so this is where we get a celebrity guest star in. Could even be Sigourney Weaver or someone. Who knows? It could be anyone from the Alien movies. Uh, so he's waking them up to be a super hot girlfriend or, or wife, I guess. Uh, and he convinces them to go along with the story that he's a he's a Silicon Valley like owner of some 
like internet business empire. Uh, and and they go along to the high school reunion, and all the other Bowies laugh at him because they know who he is, and they think he's a loser. And uh, <laughs> and and then so he puts the girlfriend back in stasis, but but she's a bit flirty about it, just so that you know the audience can go ooh, and and uh, it ends on a high note. Um, and that's basically that sets the tone for the series. That's that's what you're dealing with. It's a sitcom, a load of Bowies knocking around, going whizzle whizzle whizz. And uh, <laughs> episode two, or this wouldn't be episode two. This is the Christmas special, so this would be like episode episode thirteen or something. Depends if this is a British sitcom or, or an American sitcom. All the Bowies are watching "Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence," and uh, <laughs> it turns out that that Labyrinth Bowie is has never experienced. He's never had a Christmas, so Aww. yeah. So all the Bowies are like. <laughs> Well, hang on. It's uh, it's it's Christmas in a couple of days on on this calendar. Uh, so they all throw Christmas for him. So it's Christmas Eve, and they're doing their usual thing, you know, singing carols and blah blah blah. And then Berlin Bowie. Does <laughs> Bing Crosby turn up? Yeah, <laughs> he does. Um, Berlin Bowie accidentally lets it slip that Father Christmas isn't real. And uh, Labyrinth Bowie is gutted because, like, he's he's only just found out about Father Christmas, and now he's had it taken away. It's really upsetting. So, all the Bowies independently that night decide to dress up as Father Christmas, uh, which, in their warped Bowie sensibility, takes the form of uh, Bowie and that Bing Crosby sketch. Um, so they all they all visit him that night and, and knock on the door. And ask, uh, oh, Sid Percival lets me use his piano when he's not around. He's not around, is he? <laughs> and uh, and and so one by one they all come in and give him a Furby as a present because that's, that's the hot the hot Christmas present. Um, what in the future? Who knows? It has a resurgence in whatever year this is set. The Furby. So. So, so you have a bit of farce with all these, you know, Father Christmases coming in one after one, uh, one after the other, uh, with the same gift, and you know, David Bowie, all oh, Furbies, all, oh. and um... <laughs> it's like Jimmy Savile, <laughs> and, and uh, then they all bump into each other at the end, and and it's like, oh no, the seven seven Bowie Santas, seven Furbies, all going mentally each other. Um, and they're all laugh and apologize and all that usual stuff. And then, you know, they come to realize that the, the really important thing at Christmas is your family. And, uh, well, that was a bit Savile, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They, they go about their, their business to enjoy the rest of Christmas as a family. But then Labyrinth Bowie, he's looking at his Furbies and he's got seven and he thinks, hang on, there's only seven Bowies, including me. There, There should only be six Furbies. And he rushes outside of his room and he looks out the window into space and he hears jingle bells and ho, ho, ho. And he he, he, um, he shouts uh, <laughs> like out and he sees out the window that there's this David Bowie like in a sleigh and some reindeer out the window. So maybe maybe he is real. That's the re- Maybe David Bowie is real after all. Maybe. <laughs> You really did pitch the alien prequel that everyone wants to see there, didn't you? It's a heartwarming Christmas episode. Yeah, like I don't want to step on the toes of um, Ridley Scott, 
Neil Blomkamp tried it and he pissed him off. I don't want to piss Ridley Scott off too much, so <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm focusing on the estate of David Bowie instead. <laughs> Hello, I'm David Bowie. I'm David Bowie too. Be brilliant. My mother always told me there were no <laughs> monsters, but there are. <laughs> Scary monsters. <laughs> Alien colon scary monsters and super creeps. Get away from her, you bitch. Don't you call me a bitch, you slag. So Alan, what's what's your pitch for, for Alien? <laughs> Prometheus, we've done Alien. Yes, uh right. Um <laughs> Okay, my my pitch is fairly conceptual, not a lot of detail in it. Planet um, Earth I, is I, blue. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can we can you can do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Major Tom Skerritt, <laughs> who could be a guest star. <laughs> Tom Skerritt appears as himself. <laughs> okay. Um, so my my pitch, what I'm trying to do with my pitch is. Try and tie all these very loose strands of alien bullshit. Together. Yeah, like how are you going to make David Bowie and Predator work in the same universe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm not. I'm not sure how much this is going to hold to a lot of scrutiny, but we'll, I'll do my best. After Prometheus, Doctor Shaw and David they they get picked up by some kind of Earth-based ship. Basically, they get taken back. The company get their hands on them. David tells them everything that's going David. on and what they've discovered. Yeah, David, who's now apparently played by David Bowie. Um, <laughs> being like the ruthless evil corporation that we know and love, they have to get rid of Shaw because she's trying to screw them over. So they brand her a lunatic and <laughs> put, her in a, put her in a hospital or something. But basically make sure she's in no trouble. And then they send a new team back to the moon or whatever it was to get some loads of samples and, and figure it all out. But this time, instead of sending uh, a load of badly characterized uh, people, they send um, their, only their company-sanctioned evil scientists. So they know they won't try and ruin everything. They'll play, they'll play ball. They get loads of samples. They get all this material. They've got material from the engineers, from the xenomorph thing that came out of it. Obviously, this is the start of their long-running bid to create some sort of weapon out of the xenomorph thing, so they're running loads of tests and experiments. Mm. They eventually get to grips with the the, DN, the DNA of the, the well, all of it. With their futuristic technology, they're able to harness this and use specialized breeding to create the ultimate living weapon, the xenomorph, mm. the one with which we are so familiar. Because mm. at the end of Prometheus, it's not really the same thing. So I'm kind of, yeah, in my film, they go back and get it and then <laughs> run tests on it and get all the DNA and whatever. Mm. So... Using that, they you know they specialize it, make it better, blah blah blah, to to eventually get the xenomorph that we know now. So they can control it, and it doesn't breed like out of their control. They make it so there's a single queen which they can you know have control over, and then all its offspring are just these drones uh, that are purely killing machines. They're they're designed to be sent out into war or whatever they could be used for. And then, but the only way to make that work is through this host body that can gestate the fetus and all that sort of thing. So any animal that's got DNA can do this. So yeah, they they have to gestate the alien in uh, like a, a host, which can be anything. But humans are the best because I don't know they get 
it's they're smarter or bigger or whatever. And of course, the the, mm. the company have no moral or ethical qualms with uh, using humans as a breeding ground. So mm. um, that's not a problem. Then, uh, oh yeah, as a secondary plot line, this is just going to be something that can kind of drop in between because it's it's designed for a sort of a reveal later on. They are experimenting with, they've extracted like some sort of enzyme or whatever it is from the xenomorph that allows it to develop and change and kind of using the DNA of its host uh, and basically experiment with mm. all this kind of stuff on human subjects. Okay. So that's going to pay off later. But then for plot purposes, we're going to have to have something go wrong, you know, uh, or some people start to rebel against what's going on. Or uh, Basically, at the end of all this, the company has to... Um, desert the whole thing and, and retreat and kind of leave it somewhere uh, and have to get away from it. And then secretly, they're then designing a way to get back to that place, uh, which they do because one of their one of their company's ships is sort of going in that direction. So they set up a way for it to, to land on there, which is basically mm. alien. So that's kind of building up to the film Alien. So then the, basically the whole twist of all that is that the Xenomorphs are not a, a creature that the company are trying to get to, so they can weaponize it. They are a weaponized creature that they have created, and they're mm. trying to regain control over them. Um, and then, like that, was trying to tie into some of the Prometheus themes of playing God and creating life and all that sort of thing. And then finally, uh, the last twist with those people who were being experimented on, like the human subjects that were talked about earlier. Yeah, we see them maybe just in a hospital room, something simple like that. But they they are being transformed and they're they're changing and they're mutating and they turn from humans into predators. Ah. So, <laughs> so predators are just really kind of beefed up humans with some kind of alien in them, uh, like a bit of alien DNA in them, and then so everything comes from the engineers. Everything derives from their basic building blocks, which is DNA. Um, and then, but then, how did these predators end up in the past? And how did they end up in the nineties, or in Guatemala in the eighties? Maybe they did it through time travel, because we know they can go back to all kinds of times. They went back to catch dinosaurs. Um, hmm. Maybe, or maybe they have actually already existed, because they're made from the same building blocks. All all the company have done has, has triggered it in the humans, and the engineers created them somewhere else all all along. We don't know any of that. We're setting up further questions for sequels. <laughs> um, and then what of the engineers? Who who created them? Where are they now? Where did they come from? So, yeah, we're still setting up for further sequels. But that's that was my attempt to try and tie all of this bullshit together into something that might actually make sense hmm. as, much, as much as I could. Can we have a sequel where we follow the um, an engineer going on a space mission to find its uh, the, the <laughs> being that created the engineers. <laughs> and then get really pissed off when it... Yeah, yeah, it gets really angry. Things. And uh, it's just like, yeah. And then we have a sequel following that thing, doing the same, and it just keeps going like that. Hmm. And eventually, <laughs> eventually one of them goes to find their maker, and it's Stanley. Cause he makes <laughs> Stan Lee? Yeah, because he creates everything. <laughs> <laughs> quite good actually. <laughs> uh, still alive, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, going strong. Stan Lee. Hey, good work, you robot buck. Excelsior! <laughs> <laughs> and then he flies out of the room, and that's the end of the 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> anything else? <laughs> and then, and then, Zavid Bowie, Zavid goes, "Hello, Stanley. I'm Zavid." And he goes, "Oh, nice to meet you, David. I'm a big fan." <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Hey, guys, what what would it be like if uh, if David Bowie met Stanley? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it'd be a a little bit like like this. What, what other impressions can you do? <laughs> oh, I can't really do them very well. <laughs> Which ones can you do? We'll, we'll workshop something. <laughs> can you do... Who can you do, Alan? Orson Welles? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I can only do Orson Welles trying to sell French champagne. <laughs> <laughs> oh! French champagne. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I do a good Alec Guinness... Oh, Alec Guinness, is, <laughs> Alec Guinness is a fine one to... Yeah. Ooh. Alan, can you do Alec Guinness? You must go <laughs> to the, the Dago Bar. The Dago Bar? What's it called? Is that the droid you're It is Dago Bar. Dago. But, but Alec Guinness pronounces it Dagobah. Isn't Dago a <laughs> racial slur? Yeah. It's, no, no it's, it's, like, it's like a jackal sort of thing. No, that's a dingo. Oh, a dingo. Sorry. The dingo bar. <laughs> that dingo bar's got your baby. <laughs> You're straying into Stewie Griffin now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Calvin, I know who you can do. You can hmm? do You can do Meryl Streep as Julia... Um, what's she called? That chef. Oh, hello! <laughs> <laughs> well, you take the eggs and then you put them in the thing, and oh, <laughs> that sounds like your impression of me. <laughs> well, you oh, yeah, you, you do that, and I, I can be Vincent Price going for a time. <laughs> <laughs> you take the eggs and you whip them into some sort of egg concophony of eggs. <laughs> That's actually brilliant. <laughs> wrote to a production company about five years ago asking if they could send me some of uh, the Vincent Price cookery show because I was so... Uh... You, you've told me all about this, but I've never seen any proof that it exists. I'm not sure it's even real. I think it might be some fever dream you've had. No, no, the only time I ever saw it was they showed a clip of it on Have I Got News For You in like 2009 or something and I've never been able to find that episode of Have I Got News For You again so the clip is lost, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it, it was a thing. Alan, can cooking. you do an impression of someone like Vincent Price? <laughs> or... <laughs> that, was, that, was that your Vincent Price? <laughs> I think that's a brilliant it, Vincent Price. It was good at first. I, I don't know what that one was. It was veering into robot devil territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, no, I'm not, I don't really do impressions. You must have an impression in you, Alan. <laughs> What's my go-to impression? I don't know. Alan, what about Alan Turing? I don't, I don't even know what he sounded like. What about Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> We're going to keep going till you give us an impression, Alan. If you want to escape, you've yeah. got to do one. What about... Um... Do Louis Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, Cumberbatch? I've never heard <laughs> Do Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> what would... Uh... What would uh, Kelsey Grammer do if he found himself on board a uh, a ship with uh, xenomorphs? Oh, God, wouldn't that be brilliant? <laughs> Kelsey Grammer was in one of these films. 
I could see him popping up in one of the future ones as some sort of what? Yeah, do you not think he might get cast as like a a businessman, like one of the hi- like the CEO uh, yeah. or something, sent off to do some alien shit? Yeah, actually, now that you say it, yeah, it would, would make sense. Yeah. <sighs> so, Alien, that was so seminal work, in it. Mm, brilliant, brilliant film. Yeah, well, top notch. Aliens, eggs. <laughs> I've got, I think eggs is the word I have to say to get into the voice. Eggs. Eggs. <laughs> eggs. No, I think I've lost it. Eggs. I could do uh, Edie from Pink Flamingo saying eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, that was Alien Season, completed with our look at Prometheus. I, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Alien Covenant is currently out in cinemas, so yeah, let us know what you think. I've I've already seen it, in fact, and we'll be doing a big retrospective episode looking back at the last six months or so in the next few weeks, so, uh, so I won't spoil you with an in-depth review, but let's just say it was everything I wanted Prometheus to be, and I really loved it. If you've seen it, as I say, please do... Uh, Come and get involved in the discussion on our our Facebook page and our Twitter. And, uh, you know, like, subscribe, all that stuff. But just, you know, thanks for listening. Oh, and uh, be sure to come back next week when we're back to our usual way of doing things. None of this season business. Yes, next week we'll be diving into the waters of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Yeah, see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Alan Rickman. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Alan, Alan Rickman. And then Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons is a bit more well-spoken, isn't he? He's a bit more up here. Hello, Mr. Wayne. I won't let you go out and throw your life away, Bruce, you bloody doors off! <laughs> Don't blow the bloody doors off, you! <laughs> she was only 16.